0: Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. Just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello Detroit and the world, welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Zoom platform in partnership with the Audio Wave Network Studios inside of the Stottemeyer Wellness Hub, sponsored by the Ford Foundation, and we are also a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey, and I thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week so be sure to turn on those notifications. Today we are excited to welcome for the first time Kirk Mays. Kirk is the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, one of Michigan's top nonprofits and the nation's premier food rescue organizations. Kirk is one of this year's recipients of the Michigan Chronicle Vanguard Award as a man of excellence. And of course, we are so, so very proud to call him friend and big brother, Kirk Mays. For the first time, I can't believe I'm saying this. Welcome to Authentically Detroit.
1: Oh man, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor.
0: Man, I'm so excited to have you here. I want to let the listeners know that Donna is taking a much needed day off. She will be back with us next week, but everybody deserves a day off every now and then. So you will be rocking with just me and Kirk today, but I think we're in good hands. Uh, Kirk, it's 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 a busy time, and it's only the beginning of the year. I thought to, we're recording on Tuesday night. For the longest time today, I thought today was Wednesday. So I don't know what my mind is doing or what's going on. How is the day finding you?
1: Uh, you know, you take every day and stride. You're doing better than me. You thought it was too. You thought it was Wednesday. Uh, so you know, you one day closer to Friday than I am. <laughs> But you know, we just take it, take it in stride, man. You know, uh, you do your best to try to plan your, your your, your, activities and your days and your stuff out in advance. So it's just another day I follow my calendar.
0: I've, I know that's right. These calendars got us in the chokehold, man. Like yeah. one day I wanna go rogue and just say F it. I'm, I don't cancel everything. I wonder well, you know, how that would go over.
1: You know, there's a there's a huge positive to have in the calendar, right? Um yes. on a on a serious note, like um man, I'm gonna dive right into something esoteric, right? So if you if, wouldn't be Kirk Mays if you didn't. Go ahead. <laughs> if if I was to honestly um tell someone to or give somebody advice on best ways to be productive in this context of being a manifester of your own destiny, right? Um, you could do it as easy as doing something like sitting down one evening and writing out all your dreams and then prioritizing all the steps that it's going to take to actually accomplish each one of the big goals and all that. If you think about what the calendar's function is in our daily lives, it really is your task list by order of like what's coming next to accomplish your dreams and your, your aspirations for what you want for the future. So in many ways, when I, when I think about how do I evolve, you know, a manifestation of a dream or a goal that I have, I, you know, I can look at my calendar, like, at this point, it's like, is that on my calendar? Is that question? Is that conversation on my calendar? Is this Does this exist somewhere in my notes? Or is there a meeting about this? Or is there a time when that thing is supposed to happen? And, then, you know, at this point, like you said, the, the the uh the gift and the curse of it is like the the calendar has a stranglehold on you because for me it's almost like if it ain't on my calendar it don't exist but you
0: know one of the things that you said i think is powerful especially you know coming at it from a journalistic point of view and you you said you said writing it down whether that's digitally or taking a piece of paper and writing it down and putting it on your calendar so that you can work toward manifesting it um I I wholeheartedly believe that it is the writing, that writing down of a thing that can proliferate all kind of changes in one's life.
1: Yeah,
0: and the change that one wants to make in the world. I think that narrative, right? That the written word is literally that powerful man so like i'm with you i i can yeah. get i can get esoteric too man so the um, written
1: the written word writing something down is definitely one of the more potent tools but i would say the beginning of it is in the mind yeah right? If you don't if you don't have a clear mind if you don't have a mind that's awake to um what the call is and then what are the actual uh steps that need to actually you know come after the, the initiating energy which is the thought you know, at which writing it down makes it, you know, manifest in a physical form in our world. And, that, and there's another energy that comes behind that. But I think the initiating piece is a thought. And right, mm-hmm. and getting yourself in a place where you're thinking right, and then you can act on it. And I and I think, you know, the, the writing piece is powerful, and it's a part of it.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, that the mental piece that you you talk about, like, one of the things that I said, the intention that I set, At the beginning of the year or at the end of last year was really to be in the space to have clear thinking so that I can break up with things that are falsely urgent that I don't need to spend my energy on that I don't need to attend to or even be a part of that is presenting itself to my life and to my routine as urgent right, you can only you can only get there with that mental that, that clear mental. I love it, Kurt.
1: Yeah. You know, they say most of the things people worry about is all in their mind, you know, so you got to figure out how to control it.
0: I love it. Well, dang. And that, that just stemmed from how he's doing y'all. So you already (laughs) know that this is getting ready to be uh, an amazing time. Listen, it is time for hot takes where we run down some of the week's top headlines uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, First, I want to tell you about the 13th congressional primary race is heating up. So uh, because of redistricting, uh, the current representative for the congressional district, District 13, uh, is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. But because of redistricting, she is moving to District 12, which means that there is an, there will be an open seat in District 13 where no incumbent will be running. Rashida Tlaib would have been pretty hard to run against and beat, right? So since she's moved, there's this open seat. And so everybody's announcing. Everybody <laughs> is announcing their candidacy. I'm like, okay, this person is announcing, that person is announcing. I'm like, is Kirk Mays getting ready to announce? Oh, and amazing. so uh, the, the, the the Detroit News uh, highlighted that uh, Adam Ollier just announced yesterday he's a current state senator. He joins yeah. the ranks of former Detroit Police Chief Ralph Goppy, who announced sometime last week. Okay. Michael Griffey, okay. uh, yeah. an no attorney problem. who we know, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and who heads external affairs for Detroit's Teach for America chapter, has announced. Uh, state Rep uh, Shri Tanadar.
1: shri has been blazing trails with his whole $5 million situation. <laughs>
0: Blazing trails is the right expression for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, Sherry Gay Daniego, a member of the Detroit yeah, Board Sherry of Gay. Education and a former state representative has also announced she will run and plans to kick off her campaign next week. We should also note that two Republicans have thrown their hats in the ring. Hassan Neme and Articia Bomer have joined the race for their party's August primary. Um, and there's a lot of talk about uh since Brenda Lawrence is retiring about Michigan not having uh black congressional representation um in Washington. And so a lot of uh the candidates that have come out like uh, Adam Ollier, like a uh, Sherry Yeh Dan Yogo, are highlighting that fact that Michigan needs a black member um in the Congress. And hmm. so it's the crowded field. And one of the things that I that I know is that people are not done announcing. There are gonna be right. more people.
1: That's definitely uh, right. I've heard more names. Yeah. 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 For sure.
0: So For sure. people more people are getting ready to come out. Uh Kirk Mays, what say you about this uh primary 13th congressional race? <laughs>
1: Well, I, you know, I, I definitely, I definitely can't wait to get to the polls to put my, you know, final vote in for whenever, you know, we know who all is voting. I mean, are, are running, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting race. Uh, it's the first time in a long time we've seen a congressional seat go with an open, you know, without an incumbent, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, so um, it's definitely an opportunity uh, for someone to get in, um, in a way that you know, probably wouldn't have such of an, you know, such an open kind of chance, you know, to try to, you know, do something like this. And, and, you know, let's, let's face it, you know, being a member of the US Congress is uh, quite an honor, right? It's a prestigious Mm -hmm. role there's only 435 people like this in the country. And uh, over time, you can do a lot, you know, once you're in there for a while, um, you know, for even in any little span of time, Usually in urban communities, you go uncontested. Um, so I think that dynamic would be probably different if a, if a Republican wins. Um, we, you know, I think that that w- where it is and how it's situated in in, in the heart of a Democratic uh, community would probably be something that won't go twenty, thirty years uncontested if that if they do get in. Um, yeah. But I think it's, a, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic and. Um it'll be great to see how it pans out if you if you ask that to as what how i think about it for me personally and serving in that capacity um again it's a it's an incredible role to consider um to be a part of the u s government at that level i think is a Uh, a once in a lifetime chance in in this form. And it's a a thing that could, you know, put somebody in the history books, quite honestly.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when we, I mean, look at this community's affinity for John Conyers, the seat that he held for so long. You know, an interesting point was made by Adam Ollier at his announcement. And that was, uh, you know, he's running. He said, when John Conyers was first elected he was Adam's current age. And we know about all the years that uh, uh, John Conyers spent uh, in the U.S. Congress, and so Adam is contending that you know at this age I'll have you know I'll have time to be just as effective, if not more effective, than the John Conyers. He's like I'm young enough, I'm hip enough. This is this is how we should be thinking about the seat. Michael Griffey is just a couple years older uh then uh adam so what do, you, what do you think about that logic get somebody in there young let them grow up in the position
1: i mean i don't know how old they are uh you know exactly but i'm assuming they're, they're like young
0: 36 30 you know 36 to 38 range
1: i think they're great ages you know to yeah. get in there i think you learn a lot like but like for instance i'm 45 um i think 10 years doesn't matter in 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 that whole in that dynamic what I think is important about what Adam said and what you know if if Mike's on the same page with with that kind of logic or anyone what I think is important is that they're thinking about themselves in that role long term they're thinking about themselves in that role like for 20 25 30 years yes. if Adam is saying well look I'm the same age as John Conyers which John was 80. Right. So if you're saying, hey, I can do as much as John Conyers over the next 50 years, then that is a testament to your commitment to the role and and Mm -hmm. how, how Mm -hmm. serious you are about this being it for you. Like you're literally saying that this is good enough for me to basically grow into this wherever It's going to take me, which is a statement in the commitment of the person that you could potentially be looking at right so so you know he's basically saying in that statement that my commitment is not just to get in my commitment is to be a chair of a committee one day my commitment is to be in there and live through the change that inevitably come through time of everything we're going through and be a part of whatever that means so i mean i think that's powerful in and of itself we don't just take it into the context of hey look at my runway because i'm young i i could give you more than somebody that's older I think the fact that he has a mentality that, you know, this is something that I want to do for the next thirty years is powerful. You know, I, I would honestly say, you know, if there's curiosity, that's probably one of the reasons, you know, he'd be better than me for it because um I <laughs> I
0: don't know, I, it's hard to think about anybody doing Anything better than a Kirk mays I, oh, I don't look.
1: I'm a human being, like like everybody else. I make my own mistakes and got to think through things and make good decisions. And sometimes they're not the best decision. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I make yeah. bad decisions at this point intentionally, but you know the, the 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 bottom line is everybody. Every shoe has its, you know, has its foot, and every glove fits the right hand. You know, so I, I look at it like this: like if I was to, you know given, given that like vote of confidence, right? Like, you know, if I, if, if I have a million things to choose from, it's not that I'm saying that this isn't good enough, but you know, to pick something today and say, this is what I'm going to do for the next 30 years. I haven't completely made that, you know, I'm like, whoa, what else, what else, what else is out there that I could actually, you know, potentially help with a good person in that position without just like limiting my possibilities, you know, 30, 30, 30, 35 years. So, you know, that was a big part of my thought process.
0: It's definitely going to be a fight Kirk. I mean, like, don't, don't cut out uh, Sherry Gay Yogo. I mean, uh, you know, former state legislator, she, she knows how to campaign. She gets out there. Um, So I'm really interested to see how this will play out. I'm really interested to see who else uh, will announce.
1: And I think Sherry uh, Gay can almost outwork almost anybody. I mm have seen Sherry Gay work and, uh, she's passionate about her role as a service woman in our community. Uh, she gets out there and she's authentically like making connections with people because that's where her spirit is. That's right there. Yeah. She's not like a part-time politician, right? She's a fixture in the community. And an involved character in like the growth of her area and her district and everything like that. So, you know, even if it is political, which I don't think it is, she's on all the time. So it's 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 really hard to outwork Sherry. Is um, I think, you know, if anything, you know, the challenge is gonna be uh for for those who are running to to get the most bang for the buck out of the areas that not their necessarily everyday center of influence. You yeah. know, yeah. there's, there's, I'm sure there's pockets where people have really great name recognition, but you know, the district is smaller, so it actually takes away from that challenge. Um, and Sherry Gay would probably have benefited a lot more if Brightmore was in there because I know she had, you know, but she got part of that district anyway, so it's going to be a good race, man. Let's see who, let's see how these polls, um, add up to see who who's getting people's votes but yeah, you know, I can't wait to
0: see that and you know authentically Detroit is planning to host a forum with all of the candidates and we are hoping to make also interview each of the candidates who have announced uh individually Senator Ollier is a habitual guest on this show we've had uh uh the Honorable Sherry Gay Yogo on this show before um as well and so that's coming up uh, the, you know, we know that the 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 deadline to submit signatures and stuff, the petition, I think, is sometime in April. April so yeah. we are uh, we are gearing up to host. And we've been asked to do this by community. The community wants us to host a forum for the 13th congressional uh, primary race. And we plan to do just that and ask all of the hard questions.
1: That's what's up, man. I, sure. I hope I hope that I, I'll definitely tune in and check that out. I, you know, the district itself is really diverse. Right? It is. It's it's uh, Gross Point Hamtramck.
0: It's about you know, nineteen communities.
1: Yeah, it's, it's and in really those nineteen diverse.
0: communities, there's so much diversity with intra those communities. Yeah, so,
1: not only not only culturally but socioeconomically. Yes. Um. So you know, it's not a it's it's definitely not a um, live ball for anybody. You know, uh, it's definitely not going to be something that anybody can take for granted. And I, and I and I hate to say it, because there's so many people who are going to be in the race, and so many people who are going to be vying for the attention of those outside of their centers of influence because it's so diverse. Um, money will matter. So you know, the the race that Shree's going to run, don't just throw him out the window and act like he don't got no chance because we can't burned.
0: ignore Shree. Listen,
1: you can't ignore street.
0: So, my litmus test really funny story. My litmus test to see, like, how like folks in the hood for real feeling about uh elections is going to some of the senior citizens who are home all of the time, who are watching television, and who get all of the mailers, right? So, I asked a senior citizen back uh, when Whitmer in in the gubernatorial race with Whitmer. Abdul and Shree. Uh I don't know what was that, 18 or 17, something like that. Yeah. Uh I asked the senior citizen in the community, like, who you vote for? She was like, Go Shree. Like <laughs> 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 she she has she had been a recipient of somebody knocked on her door from Shree's campaign and talked to her. Yeah. She got a mailer because yeah. he had money for mail. And he was on television. He was he had commercials. And right. so you you can't you can't count that out. So no, Shree is Shree's definitely just, not somebody you can ignore. I agree. Just
1: because he's not the kind of face that we used to seeing at the neighborhood community meetings and stuff like that, don't get twisted on that either. Remember uh Hanson Clark.
0: Hanson Clark and his Lincoln.
1: <laughs> Let me tell you something. People love Hanson.
0: People we loved, loved Hansen on the east yeah. side,
1: Kirk. Yeah, for think? real. So, you know, when it's all said and done, um the the game will go to the best person who plays it you know what i'm saying the person Mm -hmm. who plays it best so let's see what how this happens and don't don't just i all i would say in any competition don't underestimate your your opponent that's what i would say to everybody and i think there's a bunch of people who um will do us well if they get a chance but nobody should underestimate their opponent so you know i'll pray for everyone who's in the race because i know it's going to be stressful couple months
0: Mm-hmm. That's a nice button on that one. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> a survey finds racial gaps in Detroit nonprofit leadership. Uh, what does that actually mean? So, there's a survey uh, called the Detroit Nonprofit Leadership Census that was produced by the Michigan Nonprofit Association. Shout out to Donna Murray Brown, who yeah. uh, is on her way out of the leadership uh, executive seat at MNA in partnership with Data Driven Detroit. Um, and some more uh, partners throughout the city. And this survey uh, started in uh, February of 2021, and they've just now released the results. The results have been live, I think, since uh, around the Christmas holiday. And they found that in a city where uh, 78.3% of residents are Black, 65% of the city's nonprofits have executive directors who are Black, Indigenous, or are people of color. And 62% of those executive directors are the first people of color to have that leadership role in these organizations. Just a couple of more uh, quick quick uh, findings, Kirk, that I would love to hear uh, your response to. <laughs> and uh, the survey looked at racial diversity and leadership roles at two organiz- 200 organizations out of 1,500 that are operating in the city. So. It found that when pursuing a nonprofit leadership role black women often face biases such as facing discrimination. The second finding uh, executive directors who work for organizations led by black women bring in more young leaders than their white led counterparts to take in their community efforts. Other findings include 4.9% of nonprofits surveyed with white leaders had no people of color on their boards one6 of nonprofits with white leaders had a board with only people of color. 19.6% of white-led orgs had no staff members who are people of color. We're talking about in Detroit. Organizations with white leaders tended to have more people of color on their staff than on a board. And the survey also lays bare uh, the revenue disparity that exists between white-led organizations In organizations led by people of color, particularly Black women. And so the survey found that organizations with leaders of color have assets between $471 and $1.8 million, while most of the white led organizations have assets between $63,000 and $3.6 million. So this survey and the release of this nonprofit leadership census uh, is meant to be an impetus for reflection conversation um, and, you know, change and movement, right? So the survey did not release any kind of recommendations as to how to remedy this issue. Um, It did not release uh, critical analysis as to um, why these disparities exist. I think we can sort of piece together why those disparities are, exist, are the way that they are. But they they are just releasing the data and for the public to do what we do with it and for the sector to do what it shall do with it. Kirk Mays, as a leader of color uh, in Metro Detroit, uh, leading one of the foremost nonprofits um, in our state and in the nation, how do you react uh, to these numbers that the nonprofit leadership census have published?
1: Well, you know first and foremost, I would say, unfortunately, it's not surprising at all. Um, When you when you sit, you know, at the tables, you can see clearly, you know, what the disparities are. Um, So, you know, it, I'm glad that the survey was done, it brings to bear um, the reality and, and it helps to quantify what the actual situation is. If you if you're asking the question, why do i think it's that way we're going deep into hypothetical human psychology um, around the decision-making process of picking somebody to run an organization and then we're doing it at a collective level right so all of this is a guess all right um what i would say is um one of the dominating factors in someone considering, I think, any competent leadership from a board level, considering if someone is a good person for leadership of an organization, um, especially with with any kind of real ambition for growth and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think one of the real considerations is like, how well can that person not only be the mission leader mm-hmm. the leader of people, the leader of the the conversation, right, which is in some ways the mission, but sometimes the conversation is bigger than just your mission
0: absolutely and
1: yep. then it's the then it's the steward, but also the leader of this the trust uh i would say dynamic between you know your audience which is partly the people you serve in but then it's also partly the people who could potentially fund you or your donor your 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 your, your, your philanthropic or your yeah. your public donors right so when you get into the big game right of 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 nonprofit, uh you know organizations you're you're applying to more than just the foundations right so let's just establish this a lot of groups in our community of that Fifteen hundred that were surveyed. A lot of them think that there's four or five or six or seven places, and there's a couple more that you just haven't heard of that you can get money for. You know, in Metro Detroit, and that's that's how you do it, right? And that's the formula. Um, and the, the reality is, like for instance, like Forgotten Harvest, we we have a donor list of fifty thousand. You know, and it's this is not just like the names we prospect. These are the actual receipts. That go out right so there's a bigger pool of names out there of people that we still solicit and there's individual there's corporate there's there's the the philanthropic. Um, and there's all kinds of different you know things that go on within that with individuals, you have groups that might do something or corporations that might do something on the side and their employees might do something you know. Uh, if you can't. It's it's not about whether or not you have a Rolodex. That helps, right? Any competent business person yeah. who's a known commodity, who's got a passion for community and express that interest, watch them end up in one of these leadership roles out of nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a there's a perception, I think, that the pool is thin, right? And I've heard this for seven, eight, nine, ten years that the pool of leadership candidates nationally for let's call them the premier nonprofit spots is thin, right? So there's been this active kind of effort to recruit from the for-profit sector to bring people over, um, you know, to see if they'd be willing to actually make that sacrifice and do a community thing, you know, while they're actually trying to figure out what their next step um, in their career growth is. So i honestly believe that the reason why we don't see as many african americans in general in some of the higher end leadership positions is because there's a perception of lack of dynamic sophistication or whatever that's just the truth of it right and and Mm -hmm. even though even though it's not necessarily it's not founded
0: it's not founded in many in,
1: in many ways the perception rules in, in in a lot of these situations, so you tend to find leaders who don't want to put install the wrong person, and they try to make a safe choice. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And Definitely. that safe choice may not be about background experience or even product. Sometimes it got to do with what they look like. So I think I think there's a lot of value decisions that's being made on who goes into what role, and you know. Um, if you took a chance on some, some folks out here, they would they would show you different. I think one astounding example, not to say that this brother was in any way a surprise for us because we knew who he was, but I think a lot of the business world, and I know for a fact, a lot of the business world is pleasantly surprised by the, the job that, uh, Sean Wilson is doing over at, uh, boys and girls club, he's kicking butt. Right. Yeah. And I remember when that selection process was going down. Right. Yeah. Like, like their board chair was the one that really was like, no, nah, this is my guy. This is who we're going to do. And he had to fight some of the other white leadership on that board to say, you know, this is who I'm going to go with and, and and go through all this. Hiram, Hiram Jackson, Hiram had to actually fight to, to fight for Sean. So credit to Hiram. Yeah. So having the confidence in Sean and then credit for Sean to go in there and just doing him and and kicking butt and just being another example of no, if you take the right chance on the right person, you know, brothers and sisters can actually take some of these organizations to places that you could never go with a safe looking bet. Right. So we just, I just was, I
0: was just on some uh, interview. Uh, Kalisha Davis was interviewing uh, Sean. Uh, a, a couple of months ago, and I, I, I slipped into the Zoom, and you know what what the man has been able to do is nothing short of amazing. But one of the one of the other points that I would draw out, tease out from what it is that you're saying is that it also matters uh, the demographic makeup of that board of directors because who is in the room that will and could advocate for you when you are not? Yeah. Hiram was that guy, right? right? And so um in in the city of detroit uh beyond what that front facing who and what that front facing leader looks like we also have to be uh very intentional about board structure and makeup uh to help to help sort of uh alleviate this perception that you talk about that you know the black leadership and the black talent that we have in our city is not adept enough to take on some of these roles. I think that was yeah, one of what one of the last campaigns that Marlo had, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, but let me he say this out. though. Let me say this though. I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't think you need to get rid of or replace some of the influential and caring and 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 powerful and passionate, you know, leaders that are on these boards now. Because the reason why some of these groups are doing, like, again, if you want to fundraise. In Metro Detroit, you,
0: you need, need to the cross, right people.
1: Yeah, you need to cross a lot of different communities. And the truth is, the this like when you when you having that conversation, the, the 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 black narrative is in the in the vehicle, but it's in the back seat when you're having a conversation about the mission, about what matters to the community, about making change in people's lives, like. At this point, when I'm in front of a wealthy person advocating for the mission of the organization, I hope the last thing they see is a young black man look talking to them. I hope they they listen to somebody who's passionate and who can actually reason with their logic, but also get to their heart, so they can we can make a decision in alignment. We ain't got to be a hundred percent, you know, on the same page. But if I can demonstrate to you that we got the right mix of everything to make the impact that matters to you, and they'll cut the check. And then i'm on the hook and my team's on the hook to follow through to make sure that they know that you can have confidence over here under this leadership i think that what we need honestly are more Hiram's, not less mm-hmm. not not less of the, the 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 white business folks that are on these boards we need more people like Hiram that are in our business world that are kind of hanging back and 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 are not stepping up on some of these boards because it's not just going to be somebody from the hood or just somebody who's a certain kind of face that's going to make the point in a way and have it respected in a way to keep the actual relationship lines and and the contribution and the the input and engagement at the same level, Hiram is a respected enough business leader that he can ignore the trust and at least the the, the, the ability to get a chance taken on somebody because of his stature in the community. Absolutely. We got many, many more. We got many, many more people in our business world, in our African-American community that need to get at some of these tables um, because yeah, yeah. without their- Stop saying no,
0: make the time, y'all. Stop yeah. saying no. We need make you the time. we need you. Yeah, we I love really it. Good. And that's exactly what the report was meant to do, really serve as this impetus for a call to action and conversation. And I yeah. think there's so much more uh, for us to dive into as it relates to that. But I want to talk about you. I want to talk about Kirk Mays Um, and, you know, this this trajectory that you've been on. Kirk, you have been the executive director of the Brightmoor Alliance. You've been on the jobs and economy team for the mayor's office. You are now the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. You're Vanguard Award uh, recipient for the Michigan Chronicle. You were one of the first black men out of Detroit to become a Marshall Memorial Fellow with the German Marshall Fund of the United States. My question to you, my brother, is did you set out to blaze these trails? Like, is this something that you set out to say, I'm gonna blaze these trails and knock down these doors so the Orlandos of the world can walk through them?
1: I wish I I could say that I was that prophetic brother. And (laughs) you know, what I what I will say though is, you know, there is a little bit there of understanding when you walk through a door. You know, you you, you might have been the first person, or that door was really hard to get through. There is a consciousness of do something so that the next person don't gotta like go through all that. And there is a there's for a long time I had a chip on my shoulder around getting through the door and seeing some of us on the other end, like, dog, didn't you hear me on the other side of the door?
0: I, I had that like, same chip. I you know had that same so, so, chip. Yeah. So
1: so yeah, there's there has been a conscious piece of me being like, yo, always be available for for our community or anybody who has anything that they want to get from me on about, you know, the journey or advice or anything like that is definitely my Achilles heel. Um but like did I say, "Hey, this is what I'm about to do?" No. When it if if to answer that question, when I said this is what I was about to do, what I said was I was just going to do everything I can to serve my community, that's mm. it. And it was really from this point of view of, all right, I got a kid on the way, he's twenty years old now, uh, but it was literally when he was on the way, and I was thinking to myself, who do I want him to see, mm. you know, when when as he comes into his consciousness, and I knew I wanted to, I knew I had confidence that I could do anything I put my mind to, so let's start there. There was a certain kind of like self-confidence that was there. I was like, okay, first of all, whatever I pick, whatever road I go go down, I'ma win.
0: Where did that come from? Where did that um, self-confidence come from? Where What feeds that?
1: It probably came from just being that type of person growing up too, you know, like I was, Captain of my eighth grade basketball team, captain Kirk of the track Mays, team. The
0: athlete. Kirk, I was Kirk Mays, uh, the the jock. I jocks.
1: was captain of my uh, high school track team. I was the leader of this organization, this, that, that. Any and project. Still that one I of did, the
0: flyest brothers walking the streets of Detroit. Hey,
1: okay. so anytime I did anything, any organization, any effort that I did with my friends or whatever, we came out and it was like, dude, we we were successful.
0: We did you know? it. So, so yeah. Precedent, so like, precedent,
1: has fed that self confidence. Yeah, so I came out of it like, yo, everything we actually do, and we actually do it seriously, we, we win. So like, let's <laughs> like, let's do this life thing, man. Get, <laughs> let's right? win and, at life. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, okay, so if we just decide to get rich, we gonna get rich. So how we want to do that? Or we decide to work for somebody corporation. That's what we're gonna do, and. It boiled down to a real tough, con- a real serious conversation where I asked the question of my friends if we could do anything. That okay. So the question was a bucket list question. It was if tomorrow we woke up and our biggest problem was we had all the money in the bank we needed. Um, we've been everywhere we wanted to go. We drove all the cars we wanted to drive. We went to all the restaurants. We did everything. Where does we have? completed such a life that tomorrow we have nothing to do. We're going to be bored tomorrow and we have options to do anything. So now without any kind of thing pushing you, what would you do tomorrow just because it's going to make you feel good for You're free? Good. Okay, for free. And the, the the conversation went into just serving our community. At the time, the casinos were just coming, So like, there wasn't even no pawn shops like that in Detroit. Uh, So we, we could just, we just had this conversation about where the city was going, the, the, the auto jobs were starting to transition. We knew that that was pretty much at the end of its time. And, um, we, we could see, you know, that there was going to be a lot of new levels of pain and stress, um, coming in the community. So ultimately at that point in my life. I went in this deep moment of reflection and it was like, you know, if I was going to do anything for the next, you know, 20 years, I I, I really was like, I'm going to be 35 one day. And and if- I'm I'm,
0: I'm knocking on the door.
1: Right? So I was like 20, I was like 24, I was like 22, 23 or something like that. I just got out of college and it was like, yo, one day I'm going to be 35. (laughs) And whether I am something I want to be or I'm something I don't want to be, I'm if I'm blessed, I'm still gonna be 35. So I might as well get serious about working on what I want to be, because I definitely don't want to be what I don't want to be.
0: Oh, man. so
1: so, So it crystallized this kind of ability for me to get serious about the outcomes of this conversation. Right. And when it came down to like, okay, me relying on my faith, me relying on like, I can't really come up with an answer for this. Let me ask my creator let me go back to like how i was taught and they really got to like use me for your will Mm -hmm. and what i got back from that was the greatest honor to any creator is to be a steward and honor his his creation Mm -hmm. so i looked at people as the subject of service not to people necessarily alone but to the creator but to the creator so I, yeah, I kind yeah. of like submitted to this down this path of like yo use me as your agent you know use me as your agent to do whatever I, I could go sell my gifts my talents my interests my abilities I could go sell that to a corporation to go make money and make them money but what if I join your team what would you have me do and how could I use the, the the gifts you gave me plus the things I learned through my life to contribute to my people like I, i'm not saying that you, i'm not going to do something for everybody, but it seems like our people need a lot, so can I help them. And I basically kind of just went off on you know a discovery what where should I probably focus my attention. That's where this 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 concept of village gardeners came from educational, social and economic development and over those years man. My life has basically been an embodiment of like this character of the village gardener like just to be really focused on this idea of improving. Our from an education point of view is really from 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 like my perspective today is more is really about consciousness. It was really when I was saying, when I was saying education about there, it was really about our consciousness because the education was about being civically engaged, being tactically and technically proficient at the things we need to know in order to be successful in life, but also to know self so that we can actually start pursuing the things that can help us grow as a community. From a social point of view, it's all about being a part of the fabric of a community. That means you have to be an actual open and ready recipient to actually receive community, but also yeah. give community back when it's your turn. And then from an economic point of view, I have forever, um, been an advocate for, I mean, from my day one, honestly, the education and the social part was really to have this kind of planned out kind of like coup de grace moment of saying, we've, we've learned together, we've lived together, not less like to make some money together. And honestly, that whole thing was based off of like, we should, we should really be doing more collective. Economics, you know, together. So, like, what Maliki, Malika Kini is doing, yeah, like with that co-op Amazing. is that's that's exactly the kind of stuff that I dreamed that we'd be doing it, that we would be doing in Detroit, right? So, my exact vision for myself and village gardeners and the programming and how we could pull our community together, and we ain't not we ain't all moved to Africa yet. So, I I I, <laughs> I, I, I apparently have have failed at something. I failed at that, but um honestly man i just i just came out here to try to fit myself into places where i could add most value to a conversation that would actually leave a legacy so i yeah, haven't yeah, been yeah. trying to be a part of like frivolous conversations um i have been kind of
0: yeah been, i mean the kirk Mays i know is very is very selective on where he chooses to, exp- to expend his energy yeah, very selective.
1: And, then, and then and then who i who i am in the conversation and who I, yeah. how I represent myself, is is very much so from a point of view of like you know there's there's a longitude to this, yeah. you know so th-
0: so
1: mm-hmm. this is not just be here in the moment you got to watch yourself uh, and that's you know that's probably why people mistake me for a politician I'm not politicking because I'm trying to get votes one day I'm politicking because there's a social currency to each of our interactions. Right. And and I'm not trying to cash them in so that you can vote on me one day. I'm trying to cash them in so that one day what I learn from you, I can pass it on somebody else. And if I learn that you're the person that that person needs, hopefully I can be that trusted and 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 sincere, you know, uh, you know, touch point that I can come back and say, Hey Orlando, such and such needs something. Can you guys get together? And it's coming from it's coming from a place of love and not somebody that you gotta wonder if they got something up they sleeve.
0: Talk about that love, that love piece. Uh, why do you love Detroit so much?
1: Man, I don't even know, bro. <laughs> even know.
0: <laughs> Where does it come from and what feeds it?
1: Sometimes I think it's a sickness that I need a cure. For. You, got <laughs> over there for me. you got some aspirin that to fix it. You tell me what I got to do to get rid of it. You know what I mean? I don't been in so many places. Got, the now
0: that's what got us in the chokehold. This right? love we have
1: for Detroit. <laughs> Man, you tell me where I gotta go in the world or what I gotta do to lose my love for Detroit, and I might just test it out, man, just to get a little bit off of me but i i am a I am a fatal attraction for the city um and 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 you know the truth is the the love of the city comes from the people you know i mean i've I've grown up here um my family is from Jamaica, right, yeah. so I grew up in a Jamaican household the American culture that I know is Detroit, right? So you can say whatever you want to about this place. It's America. All right. And if you want to know how America it is, just go somewhere that's not America. And oh, what you'll sure. you, you find out is you're not a Detroiter,
0: you're American. not
1: black. You're not none of the stuff that you label yourself with. You're really an American first because the culture, the tendencies, the the tone of our voice, everything is, is, is really American. And I'm Detroit American.
0: You said and, this to me before. This was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, and, finish. I and, love and, this. And,
1: and I gotta say that um it's our flavor. Just the same way I love Jamaica, right? The Jamaican yeah. dialect, the Jamaican culture, it's like there's certain jokes that you can say in patois. That if you uh-huh. said it in english or uk english it just wouldn't it. be the same right yeah. so uh every human being based on where they come from i do believe has a certain vibration and they have a certain kind of attunement to perception and understanding and approaching life
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and and mine has very much so been you know nurtured and and evolved in a in a three shift time with people who got grit out the out the kazoo creativity. There, there ain't, ain't nothing like that you it there ain't no lock that we can't pick. There ain't no, you know loop that we can't jump through. You know, I, I I know people who grew up in Detroit and they get they get somewhere else and they and I and I call them and i am like, hey man, I know my guy who got a hookup. you' like man, Detroit. It's always somebody who got a hookup. <laughs> 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 you know, it's just these little things, man. It's the way that Man, let me really let me really let me tell you about this love affair. Uh-huh. Man, ain't nobody dressed better than us. In my come opinion.
0: on, man, listen, Kirk. Can I opinion. tell you this? I was walking the streets of New York City. Hey. I was in I was in Harlem. I think hey. I was in Harlem, and I was across the street walking. I don't remember what I had on, but another Detroiter was across the street from me. Yeah. The way we were walking and the way we were dressed, Homeboy was like,
1: Detroit, hey Detroit. Flat out. I figure I figure we got a certain we got a certain flavor to us in, in the way that we talk, the way that we walk. Yeah. And in my opinion, in my opinion, a lot of other places in American culture have a copy or iteration of some things that have started in Detroit. Now there's oh, yeah. a lot of places that also original kind of culture contributors, but I feel like a lot of people don't even understand how much Detroit has, contr- has contributed to the overall baseline American culture. And I've grown up, you've grown up in the concentrated aspect of that, right? So I'm drunk in Detroit. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I, I, look,
0: let me tell you something, bro. Let me I tell love you it. Something. Simone Lightfoot says Detroit is big mom.
1: Let me if tell you Detroit something. Goes, though. So goes the rest. Yeah. I never had another hat. I never had an athletic hat that wasn't a Detroit Tigers hat, a Pistons hat, or a Lions hat. Man. I've never in my life put a A, a, sport a Yankees hat. hat? Never. Well, I got a Yankees hat that I had to put on on a bet, but I only wore it for that bet, <laughs> right? I, I, I only, only Detroit stuff. My only college team is Michigan State because I picked them over over Michigan. Okay, so these are my faults, right? And um, that's just how I am, man. Once I pick my thing, I'm coming to your restaurant and getting the same thing for the next t- five years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love. I'm it. a Detroiter, man. Let's talk about Detroit. I mean, since your days uh, at Brightmoor, things have changed quite a bit in the city of Detroit. Sure. Uh, yeah. Really interested to hear from you, your thoughts on what's better, what what's worse, and more importantly, what do you think needs to change?
1: Uh, you know, that could be loaded, but let me just say, um, definitely there's a lot of newness Mm -hmm. to Detroit, right? Like my wife and I, Tamika has been married now. We're going on 12 years.
0: Goals. First off, y'all got to see them together. If you ain't ever seen Kirk.
1: Thank you. Um, so What I can remember is when she was, when we were dating, you know, she, she was living in New York and she didn't even move here until after the wedding. Right. Like it was months after we were married that she actually moved to Detroit. She was resistant. She was like, I am not (laughs) coming from New York to Detroit. Um, so one of the things that I remember in that period was like, man, she would get off the plane at like 11, 12 o'clock at night and there was nowhere to go. Like nowhere, like downtown was a ghost town. There was literally a bunch of board. It was gray. And like, even the casino was closed at like, you know, last call is like one o'clock. Right. So she's coming into this, like she's leaving New York, the example into Mm -hmm. like Detroit. And we can't even go out and hang out at like 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. And she was like, yo, this is a kind of a sleepy town. And I came from Indiana. I, I, I'm i not trying to go backwards. And now when you look at it, you know, I mean, even when we, it was time for us to pick our house, right, she was like, you know, I know what you're saying, but we might need to go somewhere in Southfield just so I can have a grocery store to go to.
0: Eastside, baby, east side you know? through and through.
1: And I was like, yo, let's check out Grandma Rosedale, let's check out this. And she was just like, uh, I was like, well, look, I got one up in my sleeve. Let's check out this place in the Indian village we luckily found a place here. And so what has changed, right? There's, there's walkable amenities that we can go to from restaurants to coffee shops. It allows for people to make connections in these spaces. You know, the, the Meyer just opened up on Jefferson, not like holiday market or, uh, Harbor Town market and a lot of these other places weren't there as well for all those years yeah but being able to create a situation of competition but raise the level of quality up you know i was in brightmore when the whole foods got planted you know and then the brightmore uh meyer the woodward meyer you know you go down woodward now up to campus marshes and honestly you got to say that once you get downtown as you get into midtown you feel like okay for everybody on the outside looking in all right Detroit I see what you're doing I see where you are going I see the progress now you asked the question like what could be better what what is not being done right what's what's not being done I do feel like and 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 let me just say this the the tale of two cities thing is is been on the silver platter for years so it's too easy so i'm just gonna go there it is 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 worthy of the attention it gets um the fact that the conversation doesn't feel like a city-wide conversation about what's that next great thing that's going to happen in my neighborhood mm-hmm. is valid i think that there's a opposing conversation of where well, you got to start somewhere and it, and, it, and and then let it get out to the community Um, Which I think that there's an argument that could be made there has definitely been some progress and growth to to increase the footprint, but the truth of the matter is anywhere you go anywhere in the world. And and look at the tail of the tape of an economic development success story this this conversation of displacement and those who've been left behind is a part of every story right, so what. I think could be done better or more effort can be done here in Detroit is just like everywhere else, everything else. Like we we can still be a bit more rambunctious to, to, to be the first ones to be like, just because everybody else did it way, that way, doesn't mean that Detroit has to do it that way. And if it's for us to figure out a way to somehow get everybody to rise with this tide Let's figure it out here. And not because nobody else has figured it out. That just means it's Detroit's turn to try, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that, that, that definitely we're missing, but I'm not going to say that in criticism to the work that's been done and the progress that's being made, because literally you can go nowhere else in the world, no matter who's running the project, and don't see similarities to what we're seeing in Detroit on the, on the side of people feeling like they've been left out the last piece you ask for is like what do we need going forward right like what are we what are we missing as far as what do we need and um it's the same thing i've been saying forever um i honestly you know no no condemnation to the mayor i think the mayor is doing a fantastic job i think the progress that we see right now is definitely something that uh his leadership should be recognized for there's this just wasn't about like business transaction deal making, you know, this is like coming out of a a a a a, a, a bankruptcy. bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. This is this is all the politics that comes with it. This is bringing fresh money to the table that has for a long time been on the edge. There's another conversation there, but he was the right person to usher it in. The 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 thing that I think we need next. Um and the challenge for whoever is in the mayor's office is to is to create a vision that is encompassing of not only, you know, our shortfalls, meaning how do we make sure everybody's a part of it, but a vision that honestly takes Detroit to a place that we all can get excited about, you know, that conversation of like, hey, you hear what they're about to do, you know, and and it's something where it's so grand and it's so it's so bold and it's so all encompassing that literally everyone from every part of life every walk of life in our city can see themselves some way um, in that in the future yeah. in that vision thereby giving them something to tug on something to to be a part of when we have in one conversation everybody might be the here in different communicator. reasons there it is yes right so i think i think a vision is what we lack
0: cascade that vision yes yes, yes. i love it you know You said you said so many things, man. Um, I can I can go uh, to so so many places, but I know I know we're short on time and I want I want you to talk about I want you to talk about Forgotten Harvest. Yeah, Uh, I want you to talk about uh, the mission of Forgotten Harvest. I know that, you know, y'all have some amazing big things coming up, but you know. Tell, tell tell our listeners if they haven't heard, I'm sure they have, unless you're living under a rock, mm-hmm. uh, about Forgotten Harvest.
1: So thank you for that. Forgotten Harvest is Southeast Michigan's food rescue organization. We're getting food from the grocers, from the farmers, from a little bit of everybody who we can get support this mission. And if they have food that is either for their retail distribution or for their um their their uh crops that they actually get from their land or manufacturer that no longer needs a product line um whatever happens forgotten harvest is there to capture that food and then turn it around and then share it with the community organizations throughout southeast michigan so we serve in wayne oakland macomb county uh we're serving um, a number of organizations in each of the counties, uh, primarily Wayne County is where we're we're serving the bulk of our, our resources. Um, we have an exciting vision for the organization that involves us um, changing our operational model, where instead of us going out in the morning and getting the food from the grocers and all the different folks that we can pick up the food for in a day with our route drivers, we're gonna be going out and getting that food and then bringing it back to a central location using data and using just new systems and, and an expanded space to categorize, separate, and then actually shelf all of that stuff so that we can then rebuild those loads and then take them out to everybody so that they're actually the the right amount of food for the, for the groups that you have and they're mixed so that everything that we get on a daily basis can be more equitably, redistributed into the community in order for us to fulfill that we had to build a brand new 70 square 1000 square foot facility 77000
0: 77 square, 77 square feet, feet headquarters my, on 10 acres of land on 8 mile road on 8 mile road at oak park and y'all That's raised. Right. Y'all had a capital campaign that raised what seventeen
1: million dollars. Seventeen million was is the goal. We are at like sixteen point six or seven or oh, something
0: that like raised that. seventeen million dollars. Okay, Kirk. Maze. We're almost there. We're almost the there. Uh, <laughs> uh, how are how, how are y'all doing this?
1: <laughs> I mean, just day to day, man. You know, it's it's really back down to the the thing that we talked about. We, you know, first it came from an idea and expression of that vision and then bringing everybody on board, first internally, then getting the board to understand it, see it, and getting them to actually be on board with it, and then to actually put all the materials and the vision together and go out here and evangelize about it. But it, not just about a new space, but about a new capability for us to actually really address food insecurity and the systems around food insecurity in a different way. And uh, along the along the way, we've been getting com- incredible support from the community, um, and then we got a huge gift from Mackenzie Scott for $25 million. So for yeah, so talk about that slush. because
0: that was to help curve what pandemic hunger, the 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 need that was exacerbated by the pandemic, or what happened with that? Tell us about that.
1: Why did she give us the gift? Or what why was the and and
0: why and what was it for? Yeah.
1: So man, so the so so what's great about that gift is the car was like you know, Mr. Mays, I want to let you know that we're going to give you a gift for $25 million. And I was like, it boy. was a,
0: oh, I call those Oprah calls. I'm like like what'd
1: you say? Like if you punking me, who are you? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a real conversation and, um, there's no handcuffs. Unrestricted. And that's what I'm talking about. They, she said, they said that they did enough research on my leadership, the organization's past. And they was like, we already know everything we want to know. We just need to know can we send it to you all at one time and you can do anything you want to do with it. We trust your decision making. We just going to ask you for three three page reports over the next 3 years and we've already sent in one. Right? So no no restrictions. We can do whatever we think is best for the community in order to spend that money. So, what we some of the things that we're going to do to contribute to 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 with that those dollars. Uh the 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 capital campaign just to be transparent we only took like 2.8 million dollars from the gift to towards the, the campaign so there's still money there we have gotten a lot of support over the last couple of years because of the work we've been doing during covid so we already had a lot of cash um so we got the cash for that so as we're looking at our future and we see a lot of possibilities. What we want to do is start to work on the challenges that have those lines so long, having people actually getting served in a way that sometimes they have to trade off their dignity for some 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 commodities. Talk
0: about that, and, awesome. yes, yes. And to,
1: and to improve access for people who can't necessarily get to one of the distribution locations that are only open through a small window of time and only have so much you know capacity to serve a need that actually lasts a longer time, so there are working families. That can't ever get to a pantry because the a lot of pantries aren't open after four or five o'clock or six seven o'clock in the evening right there's literally none so. If you got a working family that's trying to go get that food that food assistance and there's a lot that still need food assistance. Um, you know, then the, the pantry distribution system is kind of not acclimated to them. So what what we want to do, one of the things we want to do is actually take our, our, our facility we're moving out of, on the, the Greenfield facility, which is 30,000 square feet. We're going to go on a partnership with Gleaners. And I want to also bring some other social service partners together, maybe a medical partner, uh, maybe somebody who could help with lights and bills Maybe somebody can help with mental health services and then turn Greenfield into what we call a client choice pantry, which is a place where people can come in and actually like do more of a shopping thing for their food and pick what they want out of a selection of different things that are shelved and in refrigerators. And they're going to be shopping just like an Aldi or, or the restoration Gordon of food. dignity. I and, like and when you check out, it's still free. You can, you can leave with that food for free. We take data in there to make sure there's a continuous improvement process. And if there's things that you need in your life to address other issues in addition to hunger, there should be all these cubicles and offices we have in here. We wanna fill those up with the right social service partners. So this could be a one-stop shop type deal. I wanna see it open business hours, like seven in the morning to seven in the evening so that the working family can get there, so the students can get there. And then um, I wanna pay people. You know, a lot of times you go to places and, and the people who are giving out the food outside of the church staff are people who are actually coming out of the line and they might get a little bit extra. So that they can actually get paid or compensated for doing that service, I want to actually turn this into a job. So that people are getting a wage for serving the Community That should that that's clean up a lot of the challenges we have i'm seeing that as a pilot we're putting our own money our own resources into turning greenfield into as this example so that we could actually really make a case that we need about 10 of these throughout southeast michigan so that the new way of getting served food from your emergency food providers gleaners forgotten harvests and whoever else in the game could be something that could be cleaned up and really consolidated into something that would provide more dignity more access and more quality of food with choice for people we serve and the second thing that we're going to be the second big thing that we are gonna be doing with these dollars that I wanna to speak to is we're creating a $5 million fund to give back to the community. So Forgotten Harvest is gonna literally- Have you literally, said this anywhere else? Are you, give, are you breaking news right now? It's breaking news for everybody who's one of your listeners. I said it to people who I'm in meetings oh. with in small form and to some of the funders who are wondering what's going on, but from as far as a community-based announcement, this is probably the biggest platform i've made this announcement um forgotten harvest has has an approved strategic plan as of september of 2021 and involved in that strategic plan we are going to we are creating a five million dollar fund to to contribute to the growth and evolution of our distribution network so we are going to create this facility in greenfield and pilot it but if we could get other groups to jump on and to start to switch over to something like that or get us closer to something like that, we're gonna have money to help contribute to that. And, that, and we'll, we'll give that out over the next three years. So Forgotten Harvest should be giving out like 1.5 or so million dollars over the next three years. I'm in the process right now of, uh, of pulling together a, um, a committee um, that will have board members from Forgotten Harvest on it, but I'm gonna also do some uh, recruiting from some of our community agencies and then some some personalities and and people who are doing good work in the community. I wanna sit on that board as well so we can have a selection committee to help us identify who are the best places to go to redistribute that five million dollars. So those are two things. You heard it here first, folks. I don't think dollars.
0: people really heard about that.
1: million fund that Forgotten
0: Harvest is creating that they're going to spend out over the next three years. Talk, talk about, talk about hunger in a pandemic. What, what, what are you, what are you seeing?
1: Well, I think, you know, for the most part, you know, the early days of the pandemic without people understanding what COVID is, how it relates to you and your life, different degrees of, you know, the impact of it, depending on who you are, where you come from, ways to mitigate it. I think we just been dealing with a fear dynamic since day one. And mm-hmm. I think the food the food shortage and the scarcity thinking around food is definitely something that was like headline in the fears people had, right? So early on, it was crazy, right? Like the grocery store shelves were emptied, uh, people were losing or not, or being laid off from work. You know, people weren't really sure about what their incomes were looking like. And, you know, the 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 dominant, you know, kids weren't going to school. I think the dominant question was like, what's going to happen if I can't figure out how to eat? And from our point of view, it was like, what's going to happen if we can't get people food, right? So yeah. we went into emergency mode, maybe a, a week or so before everything hit. And, um, you know, try to do our best to set ourselves up in the middle of this, so that we could have the right connections with the food suppliers and be positioned the right places in the community, so that we could be a, a fluid pass through of available food for folks. And and luckily, we've been able to meet the call. But it's been a lot of folks who have been in need, and you know, a lot of people are afraid. Um, a lot of people are still, you know, I don't think the fear is as high as it used to be, um, but there's still a lot of confusion about, you know, like when is this going to be over? And um, what is what is new normal look like, right? So, our, unfortunately, the the need for food has not subsided. There's still a lot of folks that are are in need, and I'm, we're starting to see some of the more cyclical, normal, yearly, and you know, annual kind of needs for food. Needs, yeah. but those numbers are 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 maybe a little bit more exaggerated because everybody hasn't bounced back from the COVID stuff. There's still a lot of folks. And now prices people.
0: are going crazy.
1: Inflation is going through the roof. Uh yeah. the supply chain stuff is really throwing everybody for a loop. I think if we went through all of this and you take away the supply chain thing, <laughs> I don't think we would have really actually experienced as much inconvenience in some ways because the supply chain thing from computer chips to everything. Everything it just it just made everything this that much less convenient. Right. So yeah.
0: Forget about buying the car with the <laughs> <laughs> with with a computer and it was crazy. Exactly. Uh, did we read that uh Forgotten
1: Harvest has an ale out somewhere? Yes. yes, yes. So Atwater, who's now owned by Coors, um Atwater actually created a special flavored special edition Forgotten Harvest ale for us. It's a it's a partnership of love. Um we don't get a per can um donation or anything like that it's not like a profit sharing thing uh-huh. but as as many know as you know already we aren't like strangers to like this 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 like branding and co-branding yeah. and uh you know we kind of go on this with a little bit of experience and understanding how it works or how to set up the deal um so we set up a deal to create a forgotten harvest branded beer um the proceeds will go towards you know Atwater and the Coors company but at the end of the year through the relationship you know um we we usually get a good donation but you know we can go to
0: atwater brewery and, and, and ask for
1: forgotten harvest ale and they should have it on tap i love it and and, and for what i understand they had a bunch of them at meyer but they sold out and they couldn't keep them on the shelves so i'm not sure about if you can find them at the stores but they were at meyer and trader joe's and they meyer brought so much of the first order that they only made so many cans, like the actual raw cans. Yeah. That Kroger couldn't even get their order. So I hopefully they got all that together and they're out there, but it, you could definitely, you definitely should be able to go to Atwater and, and ask for Forgotten Harvest. I want to
0: experience this with you. Let, we got to we got oh, to do, do it. Oh, let's do
1: it. That. Let's do it. Yeah, that's
0: definitely. be I wanna, <laughs> That'll be so much fun. I want to talk about, I want to talk about uh, Marlo Stoudemire, your, your best friend uh a, a a mentor uh my my big yeah. brother yeah uh the the giver of unsolicited advice most of the time but always on time um it's been it's been going on t- <laughs> I always say that about him he was so funny it's <laughs> going on 2 years since his passing um can you talk about uh the legacy uh and the indelible footprint marlo has left on detroit
1: you know marlo loved detroit so much man that uh his heart is still beating you know in the city um you know i i still meet people even even now that are like yeah you know i i don't really know you but i had a relationship with marlo and he was he was he was was going to introduce me to you
0: yes (laughs) (laughs) me too
1: And, and uh you know he was just he was just seeding so many possible futures, right? And I think a part of that legacy is 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 you know like just like any un- unattended crop that could potentially fight the weeds and actually peek through the dust and 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 mm-hmm. and find the sunlight. We need to we we need to all be attentive. Those who are you know a part of his tribe. We need to all be attentive of the of the seeds of Marlowe that we see out there. Because and then nurture the nurture the ground around them so they can have the chance that they would have had if he was here because that was really his work that was his hobby that was his love like pouring into the future of the city by pouring into people right so I find myself in many ways just in honor of him like loosening up space in my day and 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 putting a little bit of extra attention in a conversation I'm having with somebody because this is like. I wouldn't even be talking to you if it wasn't for Marlo. So let me give you what I would have gave you if he was here. Right. So a part of his legacy for me is just making sure that I continue to be the bridge that he always wanted me to be, um, to, 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 for other people and, and, and all of our vision and expression of like the greatness that can be Detroit. And it really comes from us. Right. So. He's, he's like one of the greatest champions about the possibility to trade through the people, right? And he had confidence in himself in a way that was unreasonable. And that's the reason, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the reason why he was able to achieve things that people didn't think he would have been able to achieve because he was looking beyond what was obvious. And every time he, he did something that surprised us, you got to realize there was a lot of things that didn't happen that was a burden or, 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 a, or a knock that nobody knew about. You know, and for I just sure. so happened to be for sure. one of those people who had that inside track, who we leaned on each other on the tough days and the whole the whole world celebrated the good days. You know, and we were just like, oh man, yeah, whatever, dog. Y'all
0: yeah, don't even the know.
1: You right. know, I mean, for real, some of the stuff mm-hmm. that came out afterwards, like we didn't talk about the successes with each other so much that the stuff that people actually know about him that came out afterwards. I didn't even know some of it.
0: Legit. I'm like, wait, what? And I thought, and,
1: and we talked a lot and oh, about man. some of everything. So I'm like, but if huh? you notice, but if you notice, every time you talked, he would always kick the conversation off with, "Man, there's so much. I got to catch you up on, man. But I ain't gonna be able to tell you about it today. But I'm, I, dog. I got, <laughs> I got some, I got some stuff that, man, I had that, dog. You know, and and that was Marlo. He had like ten bullets in the chamber. You know what I'm saying? You got enough time and bandwidth to talk about the two that just came out. And dog, I already know you got something going on in the brew, man, we all do, that's what we do. And um, just not to, you know, one thing I would say to everybody, just not to take any moment for granted. You know what I mean? Because I, mm-hmm. I definitely miss my brother and me too. I could use him yesterday, I could have used him the day before, I could have used him all last year, you know, just as a, a shoulder um, and I can only imagine you know, you realize that we just went through one of the toughest times in our world in Detroit without Marlo. Like this would have been different. Something would have been, been different if been Marlo different, was, was still here. So yes, you see
0: what absolutely. I'm saying? So, absolutely. And,
1: and, and, I, and I appreciate the fact that even in his, in his death, even in his passing, he was a frontline part of the narrative. <laughs> frontline,
0: <laughs> right? nationally. nationally.
1: So I yes. just love him. I love him for the life that he lived. Um, I love him for where his passions were, and, um, you know, I, I gotta I gotta love the fact that he left seeds for us still to work on, um, and it's our job to actually make sure that they come to fruition.
0: Yeah, man, and even his intentionality with, you know, the conti- contiguous investment in his friends and, and folks coming up after him like me. Yeah, he will start the conversation with, man, I got a whole bunch of stuff to catch you up on but most of the time we never got to it because he was laser focused on making sure that we were in the places where we needed to be and that the work we were working on actually worked and clicked man and so that yeah marlo stoudemire going on two years we we definitely love and miss him i gotta ask you this question because i think people are interested Mm -hmm. um you talked a lot about a little bit of everything and even you know politics and i don't want to see that but i want to ask kirk mays for somebody in your position and who you are and what you've already been able to accomplish and the list is long the recognitions and awards is long what's next for you
1: you know you know it's a hard question for me to answer you know i i still feel like you know what i said before i still feel like um I'm up for, I'm up for any challenge. Um, the truth is though, um, I know more than I did when I, I said that in the first place, years and years ago, 20 (laughs) years ago when I first started. So, so there's a little disadvantage of knowing too much about how things work. And, you know, there's an advantage of knowing myself and even more, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, if, if God gives me a long life that that service in the form of politics may not be in it i'm not going to cancel it out but i just don't feel like it quenches some of the yearnings i have deep inside of me right now um the the work i've been able to accomplish at forgotten harvest and the service and it's the honor of being the ceo of such a such a great place and and to actually help it grow to such a place of prominence like you know we're at the top of many lists now and um you know, I'm not gonna be shy about the fact that I had a lot to do with that. So I feel I feel like um, you know, I still wanna grow. Right. And that that doesn't give me many options from where I'm sitting if I think closed minded, right? Um, so I I'm I'm not gonna box myself in and say, you know, hey, these are the things that I wanna do next. But I what I can tell you, and this is a conversation I had today and after this, I want to follow up with you about that conversation because I promise somebody's gonna introduce you. Um and it was with my 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 professional coach. And we were oh, talking okay. yeah, yeah, we were we were talking about um, you know, my attitude towards the future. And what I told him was like in these last this like last month, um, I do feel like I've come to a level of a, a realization of what I do need next. Um, And it's not about what I'm doing, but it's more so about how. And um, for me, I think I need more independence, right? Like it's been great serving at all the different levels I've served. And I bow my head all the way down in service and work, right? Um, And I'm not one to, you know, I know that I'm opinionated and. You know, there's a lot of times there might be something that that really is provocative that might come out of my mouth and, you know, what, no, it might get get somebody like what he say, you know, but honestly, I I, I see myself staying firmly within my lane. And if you get burnt by, it, you know, maybe you shouldn't be in my lane, because I am going to dominate my lane. But, you know, the, the, the question is, if I, if I consistently for the rest of my life, um, subjugate myself to a mission that isn't is that that a mission that i'm being called to or or ascribed to you know does that in any way prevent me from fully stretching my wings so i i i am in a place right now where i'm contemplating what does independence look like Mm. right and and what is me being in a situation of sustainability but also um making as much impact as possible because my DNA is still service. But what would it look like if I had service without handcuffs? Right. And I'm not saying that any way, I mean, forgotten harvest is a powerful platform. It's an amazing place of impact. I, there's no love, no regrets or anything for the road that I'm at forgotten harvest. And truthfully, anybody would be crazy if they didn't want to spend the next 20 years in a, in a seat like this. Um, but for me, I still have this kind of like question of what is a unchained me? What does it look like with resources to actually make an impact based off of a vision that I have on my own? And I think that's probably a question I'm gonna need to answer, um, in my lifetime before I actually find ultimate peace. Otherwise I'm gonna get to 90 years old or get to that last day. And uh, when when somebody asks me if there's anything any regrets, I can honestly say that that would be one if I don't do something about it, right? So I don't know what's next. Um, except for you know, I'm 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 gonna constantly work on some things. I don't have the capacity right now to work on a full time you know business on the side because of the um, you know the the responsibility of running an organization that is the size and the caliber and, and and uh, you know attention that's needed for forgotten Harvest, but you know on my my extra time, whatever I have, I'm constantly thinking about ways that I can actually create new paths of sustainability for myself, so that I can you know sit in conversations or be a part of projects, um, and and kind of redefine myself as just Kirk Mays, just that guy who care a lot, who give it down, um, who has a lot of capabilities that's been de- demonstrated was here for this conversation to see if he can add value and can be respected. Um, that I can fit in that conversation because my independence has allowed me to uh uh be there. And if I could do that in Detroit, or at least do that and still be a part of the conversation in Detroit, that'd be great. If uh um, want you to
0: do it in Detroit.
1: Well I I, I I would love to too, but if if that means that I need to spread my wings somewhere else, then you know yeah. That might be on the table, too, yes you know they say in the, in the scriptures, you know a prophet is a stranger without honor right yeah,, so I don't know man i just I was pray for me, and let's see what happens. and hopefully uh the Creator has a good uh you know role for me to fulfill, um but at the same time um man what what would happen if if nobody could tell me nothing and I just was doing whatever I could do?
0: Oh, it, it'll, it'll be a problem, a good It'll one. be a problem. It'll, it'll be, be a problem. Ama- it'll, it'll sure. be amazing. But sure. I think to hear, and I hope, you know, this is, this is going to free a lot of people. I, th- I think the entire experience with having you on and folks really being able to hear the person that is Kirk Mays, but also you answering the question of what's next for you with, I don't know, but I have this yearning and I have okay. this dream. I think it's going to free a lot of people from feeling like they always have to have an answer instead of being in search and trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah, you yeah, being right. at this point uh, in your career to have accomplished all that you have accomplished to recognize that there's a yearning. I do need to spread my wings. I'm wondering about what independence looks like and what that feels like, but what my ne- what my exact next move is. I don't know. You don't just free so many people, Kurt. Well, that's and- a blessing. That's a blessing. I,
1: I mean, I'm human. I'm human. Just like a lot of other folks. I may have accomplished some things that folks haven't accomplished, but there's a way to do it. Um, so it's not like impossible for anybody to get it done. Um, so get some of those things done. You just got to put yourself in the right position. And the, 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 the one thing I can say to anybody is probably the best place for you to concentrate is for, with whatever is in front of you right now. Mm. Like do it. Well,
0: do it. Well, say do that. It well, do yes. it well
1: do it in a way that you're proud of it and anybody can look at it can come, come to and be like, Whoa, did you do this? Like redefine your, you know, your brand with every project and everything you touch, you know what I'm saying? And, and make sure that people are like, yo, Hey, if you don't know about this cat, you need to look like, you need to go talk to this cat because I seen something that this person did, this young lady or this guy that that he did. And I'm really intrigued. And I think, that's the most important thing. Is I'm not just a a name that people hear about. Like if you get a chance to sit with me, you know, I'm gonna bring some fire to the conversation, flat out, you know, and then if we gonna we're gonna choose on something and we're gonna do something, I'm gonna come with my part. We gonna we gonna get our stuff done. So I think that's a reputation that really precedes a, a name, right? You know what I'm saying? You gotta, sure. you, gotta you gotta be serious <laughs> about your work and get your stuff done. Don't be worrying. Don't be focusing too much on the other thing and don't handle your business in front of you uh, because it'll, it'll sabotage your next step.
0: Ah, uh, Reminiscent of conversations that you and I had years and years ago. Uh, Kirk Mays, I want to thank you for saying yes to this interview and for coming on and allowing uh, me to ask you all kinds of questions. Oh, yeah. um, and we got to have you back. We got to have you back when Donna is here. She's going to be so mad that this went so well and was so good and she wasn't here. So,
1: anytime, tell her I miss uh,
0: her. Yeah. Uh, Y'all keep up have,
1: going, doing great work over there.
0: She is. She is. Uh, shout out to Donna Givens Davidson, who is taking some much needed time off tonight. If you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Authentically Detroit or email us at Authentically Detroit. Dot com. We want to thank you so much for listening, and we want you to catch the wave.